Welcome to FBC, and I want to invite you to grab a Bible with me as we uh, continue our worship service this morning. We're jumping into Exodus chapter 12 again, so uh, go ahead and find that with me. Uh, If you need a Bible, no problem. There are some in the seats in front of you, or if you want to follow along on your phone or device, however you need to do it. Uh, We're going to have a few slides today, but the main text for the morning is not going to be on the slides, all right? So that means... You have to do the heavy lifting, all right? You've got to find the text. Exodus 12, it's the second book of the Bible, so towards the front, uh, you should be able to find it there. Use the table of contents if you need to, no shame. But Exodus 12 is where we will be as we continue this series we've been in for months now, looking at uh, the book of Exodus and walking through little by little. Uh, You know, we all know the feeling of longing, the feeling of expectation, the feeling of looking forward to something big in our lives. And often waiting is really difficult. It can be difficult waiting for something. Sometimes it feels like we're waiting for something for so long, it feels like we're not sure if it's ever going to arrive. And maybe you're here this morning and you're in a season of waiting. Where you're waiting for change to come in your job, a uh, change in circumstances, where you work, you're waiting for a change in your family. Maybe there's something positive you're looking forward to, a vacation, a getaway, a little bit of a break that you need in your life and you're longing for it. Maybe you're waiting for a friend of yours to come and visit and they bought the plane ticket and it's months or weeks away, but it hasn't quite arrived. It feels like it's never going to arrive because you're so excited for it. We understand the feeling of longing and expectation. Maybe you're a 49ers fan. And you've been waiting 25 years for the 49ers to win the Super Bowl. The last time they did it was 94, 95, 25 years ago. And so you've been waiting, longing for that victory. I was uh, too young, really, to remember the 49ers' first or 90s Super Bowl win. And so my entire life, I've been waiting. I don't remember a Super Bowl championship. So I've been longing for it to come today, friends, today could be the day. So we're well acquainted with that feeling, and yet we realize that there are times when in our lives the waiting is over, right? There are times when change does come. A new job does arrive. Healed relationships in our family does happen. Profound uh, changes take place where God, in a sense, says to us, hey, the waiting is over, The Christian life is one marked both by waiting, longing, expectation, and by noticeable change and transformation and moments where everything becomes different. We're going to see both of those on display in Exodus chapters 12 this morning. So would would you pray with me again as we prepare to jump in? Father, we once again turn to you and just ask for your help as we read your word. Uh, We pray that you would guide us and that you, by your Spirit, would teach us, convict us, uh, comfort us, challenge us, change us, Lord, uh, by our time spent in your Word. We give you this time. We open our hearts to you. We pray that you would be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, well, again, let's remember where we have been, okay? The book of Exodus, the people of God are in slavery in Egypt. They are living a harsh and bitter life under the rule and reign of Pharaoh, but God has spoken to his people and he's promised to bring them out of Egypt. He's promised to deliver them and to rescue them. But up to this point, the rescue hasn't happened yet. They're still in Egypt. And even though God has raised up Moses and sent him to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's not listening. Even after plague, after plague, after plague come on the land of Egypt, Pharaoh still will not let the people go. But then last week, we looked at the the final plague that was threatened, the final plague that came, a harsh one, the, the death of every firstborn in Egypt. And we see in verse 29 and 30, the plague comes. Judgment falls on the land of Egypt from the wealthy and powerful families all the way down to the poor and prisoners. And there's great grief and wailing in the land of Egypt. So much so that Pharaoh finally says, okay, fine, like just go. Get out of here, I'm done, you can leave just how you desire. And so we're gonna look at how the events of the, the Exodus, them leaving town, unfolds. But first I wanna point us to the end of our section, the last few verses that we're gonna look at this morning and start there, okay? So verse 40 of chapter 12 is where I wanna start us and read together. Exodus 12 verse 40 says this. It says, now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. On this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for generations to come. So verse 40 tells us that the people of Israel were in Egypt for 430 years. And then verse 41 says, what, that after that amount of time, they are finally leaving Egypt. The the exodus has come. It's finally happening. But but think about that chunk of time with me, would you? 430 years. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that amount of time. Okay, 430. Think about what was happening 430 years ago from today. The year was... 1590, do you know what was happening in 1590? Me neither, it was a long time ago. I don't know, it's a really long time ago. Although I did, I did some research for us to see what, was, what, what were some things happening in 1590, okay? And I came across this, this, this is for free, okay? Just throwing this out today, a little history lesson. In 1590, Anne of Denmark became Queen of Scotland as she married King James VI. So there you go. Anne of Denmark in 1590 became Queen of Scotland as she married the king, King James VI. She had a coronation service in 1590. I believe it was in the spring. And her coronation ceremony lasted seven hours long. And so if you get a little fidgety today at our one-hour service, it could be worse. Okay? It could be worse. So that's 1590, 430 years Okay, now think about it. Our country, the United States, is only about 243 years old. I believe this year it'll be 244. So all of the American history that we read about with George Washington and the founding of our nation and the Declaration of Independence and all that, all that can be captured in 200 and 
40-something years. And here, we're talking about 430 years. That's generations. Generation after generation. Now, we know that initially things went fairly well for the people of God in Egypt, right? If we read the end of Genesis, beginning of Exodus, things went okay for them there. So it wasn't like the entire 430 years were in slavery. However, the majority was. 430 years, generations crying out for deliverance, generations praying for freedom. Even then, Moses comes on the scene in Exodus chapter 2, and we're like, okay, here's the deliverer, the the leader of God's people that God's going to raise up, and they're going to go out into freedom. Moses is here, and then we have to wait 80 years until God calls him and sends him to confront Pharaoh. And the Exodus begins to unfold. And so Exodus 12 here, as the Exodus begins to get in motion, reminds us it's been a long time coming. It's been a long time coming. And this reminds us that God is faithful. God is faithful to keep his promises. God is faithful to do what he said he will do, even if his timeline and timing looks different from ours. Look at another key detail of the text. Verse 35, again, the people are being led out of Egypt. It says, The Israelites did as Moses instructed, and they asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. It's a pretty interesting detail in the text that not only are the people leaving town, they're leaving slavery, but they're doing so with full hands of of riches, of treasure and silver and gold and clothing. They're they're not leaving empty-handed. It's interesting, too, that the term used in verse 36, it says they plundered the Egyptians. That's a military term. That's something that a conquering army would do. They would kind of rake in the spoils of war after they were victorious in battle. And it's using that term to describe what's happening for the people of God. Though there was no hand-to-hand combat, they are leaving with riches. They are leaving victorious because God is leading them out. And he's keeping his word here with this detail. Again, this seems like maybe an insignificant detail, kind of a strange little thing, but think about it. Look at, er, I'll read it for us. You don't have to turn there, but Exodus chapter 3. God said this would happen. Okay, Exodus chapter 3, verse 21. says, I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. Again, it's happening just as God said it would. But we can look even further back to the book of Genesis and see that God promised to do this. Look, Genesis, we'll have this one up on the screen, chapter 15. God speaking to Abram, the father of this nation, the father of the Israelite people, says, Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. Okay, it's pointing forward to the Exodus. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with what? With great possessions. 
God is keeping his word. What he said would happen in Genesis, what was repeated in Exodus chapter 3, now here in Exodus chapter 12. It's unfolding. The people are leaving with riches in victory. And again, this is not a prescriptive text to say, go to your neighbors and ask for riches and gold and clothing today. Don't go home and do that, okay? This was a specific thing happening at a specific time in a specific place. So God's keeping his word. And it would have been easy for the people in Egypt, the people of God there, to doubt, right? After this amount of time, after this many generations, to wonder, where is God? Why haven't things changed yet? When will things get better? Why is this taking so long? And don't we ask those same sorts of questions in seasons of waiting? We often wonder why, why is this taking so long? Does God hear me? Will change come? Maybe that's where you are today. And again, you're looking at your career, your job situation, and you want out, you want it to look different, you need a change. Maybe you're waiting for a, a particular relationship to be reconciled with a friend or someone in your family. You're looking for healing. Maybe you're, you're praying for someone in your life to come to know the Lord, a child or a friend, and you're just wondering, Lord, when is it going to change? When are you going to bring this, this healing? When are you going to step into this situation? It's hard to wait. But as we talked about a few weeks back, sometimes God's okay with making us wait. He's not bothered by us having to wait. He's not rushed. He's not hurried. And in seasons of waiting, it's an opportunity for us to embrace God's sovereignty to trust the Lord and his plan. And embracing God's sovereignty means believing that God rules and reigns over all things, that God does all that he pleases, that God will bring about his eternal plan and purpose. God's will will not be thwarted. He will accomplish his plan. And so... In seasons of waiting, in seasons of longing, we have this opportunity to choose to trust, to choose to believe that God is good, that God knows what he's doing. Even if our circumstances are difficult and leave us crying out and wondering, even if his timeline's different than ours. Sometimes we want things to happen in days and weeks, right? But, but God often will work in years or, or decades even. And that simple perspective change can help us embrace God's sovereignty, trust his plan, believe that he is good, that he knows what we're doing, what he's doing, even if it doesn't look good at the time. So you might be here this morning and you're like, Matt, we've heard this. We talk about this a lot. It's getting kind of old. The whole wait and trust and be patient and things are hard. And I don't want to hear again about the waiting, okay? Well, sorry. First thing, it's in the text, okay? So we're going to talk about it. But, but I will throw you a bone here, okay? There's more, okay? We're not just going to talk about waiting and patience and trusting God in the midst of trials. There's more here happening in the text. Because we're reading about how after 430 years... 
the waiting was over, right? And there comes this time where it's go time. The, the people are leaving Egypt. The exodus is happening. They're, they're packing their bags. They're moving out. And so not only do we see waiting in the text, we see this moment where God steps into the story and acts decisively to lead the people out of Egypt. And I want us to see that truth as well. Okay, so look at how it unfolds. And we're going to see this in the text a few different ways, okay? Verse 31, the last plague has fallen. Here's what happens after that. Verse 31. It says, During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and go. And also bless me. By the way, while you're going, throw me a little blessing. That'd be great. Okay. Pharaoh sends word after the last plague to Moses and Aaron. Go, get out. I'm done. I've had enough. You, all the people, take your cows and chickens and everything. Get, get on with it out in the wilderness. Fine. And you see here, okay, this, this sense of, of urgency. Okay. In this verse, and in the verses that follow. You see it a few times here in verse 31. Up, leave, go, get out. Okay, then look at verse 33. Story continues. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. For otherwise, they said, we will all die. Okay, they're worried. The plagues are falling. Like things are getting bad. Just leave, hurry, get out. Verse 34. The people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. We talked about this a little bit last week, right? They, they, they left so quickly. They didn't have time to prepare their bread like normal and add yeast to it and let it leaven. And so all they have to do is they just throw the dough on their shoulders and they're like, we're getting out of here, okay? They don't have time to let the bread do its normal thing. They had to leave quickly, okay? And then we read again in verse 37 and on about the bread, keeps coming up. Okay, there's 37. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, and also large droves of livestock, flocks, and herds. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Okay, so verse 37, the journey is taking place. The people are leaving, going from Ramses to Succoth, kind of the first leg of the journey, heading east, the, the normal route that you would go out of town. And as the story unfolds, again, we read about the bread. We read about it last week, a lot of references to the bread. Verse 39, the dough the Israelites had brought, they, they baked it without yeast, because why? They've been driven out of Egypt and did not have time. It was time to leave they left in a hurry. Okay, they're on their way out. So do, do you see what's going on in the text? Do you see the pace taking place? Pharaoh, verse 31, 32. Go, up, leave, get out. Verse 33, the Egyptian people, hurry, get out of here. Verse 34, they, they couldn't even pack a lunch the right way. They just threw their bread on their shoulder and they're out. And then verse 39, again, they, they were driven out so fast they didn't have time to make the bread properly and prepare their food. So multiple times, in multiple ways, they're leaving. It's happening. It's happening fast. They're on the move. God has acted, acted decisively. It's time for them 
to leave. And so, after generations and centuries of waiting and waiting and trusting and praying and waiting and trusting and praying and trusting and praying and waiting and trusting, it's time. And they're leaving. Although they've been longing for freedom, crying out to God, longing for relief, I still imagine that this change would, would bring some difficulty for them. I mean, they're preparing to, to leave home, the only home they've known. They're preparing to step out into an uncertain future from the place they'd been for generations. I mean, they didn't even have to, time to, to pack a proper lunch on their way out. They're just, they're going. I mean, some of us are strange, and we can, like, go on a long trip with nothing but a backpack and a T-shirt. Okay, any of those people? You guys are just strange, okay? But the rest of us, we, we like to pack. We like mostly to be prepared to have at least, you know, some toiletries and a few things in our bag that, that'll make us comfortable as we're preparing for a trip. And, and here, the people are leaving home quickly, unable to pack, stepping into an unknown future. They don't really know where they're going. And so you can imagine that some of them, you know, like the, the planner types, the type A's in the crowd would be like, Moses, can I see like an itinerary or something? Like, if we, have you really thought this through? Can you like map out where we're staying? Did you use a travel agent to help book this journey? Okay, what do you mean we're not staying in hotels yet? We need hotels. Are there, is there a continental breakfast? I need, what, give me the details, Moses. And he's like, trust, just trust. God knows where we're going. God's going to lead us out. We don't have to know all the details ahead of time. It's time to step out. And so, friends, for some of us, for some of us, God is calling us to trust him in a season of waiting. He's calling us to be patient, trust in his sovereignty, believe that he is good even in difficult times. Some of us are right there. But some of us are here this morning, and God is saying to us, it's time to go. The time is now. The wait is over. Take that step. We're leaving Egypt now. Now, believe me, I firmly believe that following Jesus is a process. Following Jesus and his work in us and growing in Christ takes time it takes time to see the fruit. Real maturity in our faith is more like a crock pot than a microwave, okay? Following Jesus is, it's a marathon, not a sprint. I firmly believe that. We've talked about that a good amount if you've been here for a length of time. However, there are moments, there are moments where God calls us to act, to make a decision, to walk through the door, to, to cross that line of faith, to act decisively, saying, it's now, we're leaving Egypt, now, the waiting's over, now, this is happening in your life. Moments that change us, decisions that change us. Like the Israelites leaving Egypt in Exodus 12. And so, I want to talk through a few different applications of this concept in our lives. This could look a few different ways for you, depending on who you are and where you are 
in your journey so far. This might mean for you today that it's time to put your faith in Jesus for the first time, to repent, to turn from your sins and put your faith in Jesus, to come to him, to believe in him. We read in the Gospels, Jesus calling out to people, saying, hey, follow me. There's this invitation to follow me. And then the disciple has to make a choice, right? Will they get up and go? Or will they stay? Will they walk with Jesus and trust him? Or will they not? So for some of us, we have been brought to a point of, of decision, right? We, and sometimes, it, again, it takes time to, to hear the gospel often, to understand who Jesus is and what that might mean for us. But he, he calls us to a, a moment of decision, where we cross a line of faith and say, okay, Jesus, I'm in. Okay, Jesus, you are Lord and Savior. I'm going to follow you. And so the good news of the gospel is that we don't have to wait to experience salvation, right? Like the people of God in the Old Testament were waiting for deliverance. We're waiting for God to step in. But we live on this side of the cross. And so salvation has come in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is freely offered now to us. We can repent and believe today and experience the forgiveness of God and the grace of God and adoption into the family of God and justification before God and sanctification, the power of the Holy Spirit now in our lives, a transformed heart, God's presence with us both now and forever. Those things are ours the moment we put our faith in Christ. So for some of us, there's that invitation. Make the decision. Trust in the Lord. Today is the day. For some of us, we need to take the next step of baptism. Some of us, we put our faith in Jesus, but we haven't been baptized. But when we look at Scripture, baptism isn't really like an optional, like, hey, take it or leave it. If you want to get baptized, cool. If you don't, don't worry about it. It's, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple, you're to be baptized. And that's not coming, okay, because we're you know, Baptist is in our name. Let's just look to the text. Followers of Jesus are to be baptized. And so maybe that's the next step where God's saying, it's time. Take the step. You've been waiting long enough. You put your faith in me. It's time to make that public. Proclaim that in front of your church family and your community. Say, I'm walking with the Lord. I'm trusting in him. Again, in two weeks, we're having a baptism service. Maybe you need to be one of the people up here if you haven't been baptized. On your connection card, you can check the little box that says, I'm interested in baptism, right on there. And, and we'd love to follow up with you these next few weeks, walk you through that process, share with you what that looks like. For some of you, the application today maybe is a little more general. God's been prompting you to some kind of change or decision in your life that you've been hesitant about. Maybe it's something around the church, something like joining a small group, something like committing to serving or, or, or being here at church regularly. And God's saying, hey, it's time. It's time. Take that step. We're leaving Egypt. Make that decision. Here we go. Maybe, maybe it's something more general in your life. You need to call that friend and ask for their forgiveness. You need to reconcile with that person. You need to buy the plane ticket and go where you need to go to see that person. You need to make the apology. You need to call the counselor and get an appointment to go to counseling. 
And I want to talk a little bit more specifically today about, about our sin. I want to talk about our sin and ask the question, is it time for you to leave Egypt in the sense of our sin? And here's, here's what I mean by that. In, in Exodus, the people of God were enslaved to Pharaoh. They were held captive under the power of Pharaoh. They were not able to leave on their own, and God was calling them out of Egypt so that they would worship him freely and live in a new land. And many of us today are enslaved not to Pharaoh. We don't literally live in Egypt, but we are enslaved to sin. We allow sin to have power over us. We allow sin to have a foothold or, or a stronghold in our lives. And specifically, there are sins for each of us that have more power over us than others. Depending on who you are, your struggles look different. There are certain sins that we could maybe label as strongholds, areas of our lives that, that just seem to have power over us more than other sins and struggles. And we need to come to Jesus and experience freedom from those sins. And often those specific strongholds for us are kept secret. They're things we don't talk about very often. They might bring great shame into your life when you think about it. Uh, they're things that are quite destructive to your relationship with God and to your relationships with other people. And often we allow strongholds of sin in our hearts. And we need God to lead us to freedom. We need Jesus to lead us out of Egypt. And so what I want to do is talk through a, specific, a few specific strongholds that are common for us today. And as I say this, I, I, I want to clarify, sometimes in our walk with the Lord, there are, there are sins that remain struggles for us, that, that we struggle with for a long time, even throughout our lives. And so I don't want to pretend that uh, all of your sin issues are going to go away overnight, but there are times where the Lord delivers us pretty clearly from the power of certain sins. And we see those strongholds broken. And people who walk with Jesus have experienced great freedom in particular areas where addictions are broken and habits are broken because of Jesus' power in their lives. And so we have to avoid two extremes. One extreme is saying, well, I'm just always going to struggle with this. It'll never be any different. And the other extreme is saying, well, everything's going to change overnight and I, I won't have any sin in my heart the rest of my life. Both of those extremes are to be avoided. But let, let's talk about then what this could look like in your life, okay? Maybe you're here this morning and you have the stronghold of fear in your life. This is really common for us today. And we are held captive to anxiety, to phobias, to fear of failure, excessive worry, uh, people-pleasing tendencies, all right, we fear people. We want to please other people. We need to control situations because we're afraid of the future. We're afraid of not being in control. We fear rejection. So there's a real stronghold that sin has in our lives, a fear over us. And God wants to lead us out of Egypt 
and wants to give you freedom and security in Christ, a heart of trust and submission to the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you have a stronghold of of bitterness in your life and you are held captive to feelings of resentment, unforgiveness, seeking revenge, jealousy, critical spirit. You're held captive to it. You can't quite break out of it on your own. God wants to lead you out of Egypt, give you freedom and that power over you, the power of sin, and allow you to forgive, to give you the grace to love other people in the name of Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you have the stronghold of sexual immorality in your life. And you're held captive by lust, pornography, inappropriate sexual relationships. You're captive to those things and God wants to lead you out of Egypt. God wants you to experience freedom from those things in Christ. God wants to give you the gift of purity and holiness and genuine love for other people. Maybe you're here this morning and you have the stronghold of despair. Despair in your life. You're captive to hopelessness discouragement, addictions, self-harm. God wants to lead you out of Egypt and break the power of sin in your life and give you hope and joy and the knowledge that God loves you, that you are valuable to him. We could keep going and Name several others. These are just some examples. But, but I want you to see from the text, sometimes it's time to wait patiently on the Lord. And other times, God says, it's time to go. This has got to go. It's time to leave Egypt. It's time to move. But in order for us to be able to do that, we have to acknowledge that we're in Egypt in the first place. We have to acknowledge, here's the reality of my situation, the sin in my life, the sin that has power over me, and I need the power of God in my life. I need the freedom that can only come through Jesus Christ. Romans 6 tells us, it says, we know that our old self was crucified with him. If we put our faith in Jesus, we've been united to him crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So through Jesus, we can experience freedom from sin. Christ came to set us free and give us the power of his spirit in our lives, where we see the fruit of the spirit, that we're no longer captive to the sins of the flesh, But now in our life, we begin to see the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on, uh, welling up in our hearts. So this freedom that we're talking about, uh, I'm not talking about, hey, you just try harder and go out there and this week you're going to get it right. I'm talking about the power of Jesus transforming your heart and changing you. And so... 
to close our service this morning, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to do something that we don't really do here. I don't know if we've actually ever done this in my time here. I just I want to scare some people. And so that's what we'll do. No, but here's the deal. When, when we feel God prompting us, when we feel God convicting us by his spirit, when we feel God speaking to us, it's, it's important to respond, right? It's important to just not let the moment pass and say, you know what, well, uh, uh, I'll deal with that later or, or I'll think about that later. And so I want to give us an opportunity to respond right now. And so, and so all I'm going to do, it's going to be really simple. Uh, in just a minute, I'm going to, I'm going to pray a short prayer. And, and I would like to pray for you. If you're here this morning and you're sensing God saying to you, you know what? It's time. It's time to leave Egypt. It's time to take that step. It's time to trust in me for the first time. It's time to confess that sin and addiction. Someone needs to know about it. It's, it's time. And so what we're going to do, again, if that's you this morning, I'm simply going to ask you just to stand up where you are. No one's going to come over to you and tackle you. I ask you to stand up where you are so that I can see you and so that I can pray for you. I know it's a little awkward. I know it's a little uncomfortable. And this isn't the sort of thing where I expect everybody to stand up. But if, if that's you this morning and you'd like to be prayed for and acknowledge your desire to, to leave Egypt, I just invite you to stand right now. Whether you're making a decision to follow Jesus for the first time or whether you're saying, you know what, Lord, it's time. I need to acknowledge this sin in my life. I need you to, to break the power of sin and its hold over my heart. I invite you to stand. Or if you're here this morning and saying, you know what, I just need to take a next step. I need to get baptized. I need to join a group. So if any of those describe you, I invite you to stand so I can pray for you. All right, let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we acknowledge that freedom is only found in you. Jesus, uh, you came to die for us. You were raised to life that we might be forgiven and experience new life in you, that we would no longer be slaves to sin. And, and I thank you for my brothers and sisters standing around the room right now, that, that they have sensed your, your prompting in their hearts. They've sensed you saying to them, it's time. It's time to take that step. It's time to leave Egypt. It's time to confess that sin. It's time to, to turn to me. And so, Lord, uh, we pray for them, and I, I pray for them. I pray, Jesus, that, that your power and presence would be uh, realized in their life, that they would experience joy as they follow you. And if there's a specific sin, Lord, that, that currently has power over them, I pray that you would break it. I pray that you would deliver them from it, that you would lead them out of Egypt and into freedom. I pray, Lord, that you would guide them in these next steps that you have placed on their heart. 
I thank you for them. I thank you for their courage. I thank you for their boldness to stand now and, and acknowledge, Lord, their desire to walk with you more fully. So, Lord, we commit them to you, and we thank you that all this is possible because of Jesus. Amen.